This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we discuss topics of interest to people who seek a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. This episode was originally recorded on January 30th of 2021, and it features a conversation I had with AJ, who started a secular AA meeting in New Jersey. In this episode, he will share his story and talk about his group has evolved since it started. Well, hello, AJ, and welcome to Beyond Belief Sobriety. It's so good to have you here. It's wonderful to be here. Uh, I've uh, been following the AA Beyond Belief page for uh, for years now. Um, you, there's been a lot of inspiration from that page, from this podcast, and from the, the uh, secular community that uh, for me. So I'm really happy to be here. Cool. So um, as you know, uh, what I like to do is um, start with your story and learn about what you know brought you into recovery, your impressions of AA, how you got involved with um, secular AA meetings and starting one. And you know, we'll just let a conversation flow from there. Would you, would you mind starting out, off with that? Sounds good. Um, yeah, so my name is AJ. I am an alcoholic. Um, I uh, got sober. My sober date is September 14th, 2012. Um, I have a, a sponsor named Mike. He has a sponsor named Kevin. Um, my sponsor and his sponsor are both... Um, you know, theists, uh, they, they believe in God and, uh, yet we still have a wonderful and loving relationship. Um, and, uh, I, I do think that is possible and, um, and helpful, honestly. Um, we are part of a broader community. So, um, to, to get started with my story, um, you know, uh, grew up in Maryland for nine years, uh, and then my family moved to Rochester, New York, which is where I really spent my formative years. Um, I uh, I kind of attribute that that move to to some of my feelings. I don't, you know, I, I do believe that this is a disease, but um, I think that there are events that happen in our lives that shape our lives and, um, you know, milestone events. And that move for me was a, a milestone event. Um, you know, I spent my time from when I was about nine until I was about 13 or 14 being very sad and depressed and lonely. Um, and what got me out of that was two things. One was uh, getting involved in, in theater in my schooling. And the other was getting involved with um, with a, a group of people who were kind of rebels. And, um, you know, I grew up in the 90s grunge era, had my long hair and flannel. Actually, I wore an army jacket everywhere. Um, and, uh, you know, we were we were smokers. We we didn't give a you know, we um, we we were rebels without a cause. And, um, you know, I, I started smoking cigarettes at a young age. Uh, and then I move from there, you know, once you're doing one, you know, bad thing, uh, sometimes, uh, you move on to other things. And I, I did, I, I started smoking a little pot, um, then never really liked it. I smoked it because, you know, I hate to be a stereotypical, uh, teenager, but, um, you know, more, everybody else was doing it. So I did it too, but, you know, pot really made me anxious and uncomfortable. Um, and it wasn't until, uh, one night, um, so I, I lived in a little suburb of Rochester called Henrietta, 
And uh, there was a McDonald's there that uh, on Friday nights we would go there and hang out because we could smoke indoors. And um, if you know anything about Rochester, you know it was very snowy, uh, very cold. And um, so during the winter, uh, you find play- things to do indoors. Um, so we could smoke our cigarettes indoors, but we could also step outside. And, um, and in this case, we had found someone who would sell us alcohol. So I drank my first 40 ounce of, of alcohol and got drunk for my first time. And I loved it. Um, you know, my parents had given me sips of wine here and there. We would be able to have half a glass in Thanksgiving and that, you know, I didn't get any feeling from that. It wasn't until, uh, I did this and I was like, Oh, this is it. This is what I want. And then about, you know, half hour, hour later, I started getting the spins and then I threw up. But after I threw up, I felt better. And I said, okay, this is what I want to do now. I just need to learn how to do it better. Um, And after that, uh, you know, I drank any chance that I got. It wasn't that often because uh, most of my friends were pot smokers. Um, You know, every once in a while we would do some acid, uh, but uh, we were, you know, they smoked pot I, and it was much easier to get pot than alcohol. Um, we, we couldn't find a lot of people who would sell alcohol to us and, uh, nobody had a fake ID. So, uh, and honestly, they didn't care that much about it. I did. Um, and, uh, it wasn't really, I didn't really start drinking in earnest until I was, um, in my twenties and, you know, people started serving me and then I started drinking every day when I turned 21 and had an ID. Um, so kind of in that time, uh, I, I had my first couple of geographic moves. Uh, well, besides the one from Maryland to Rochester, I moved from Rochester to, uh, Ohio for a year, went to Ohio state, uh, dropped out and moved to Denver, um, just picked up, packed up my stuff. I had some friends there and uh, moved in with them and spent two years there. And in Denver, I, I turned 21 the night after I arrived in Denver. And really, I was, you know, outside of any supervision of anybody. And, um, you know, I said to myself, okay, the, you know, I can do whatever I want. What I wanted to do was drink. And I did every night. Um, I worked in the uh, food service industry. I waited tables. Um you know, waiting tables is a, a good way to make um, quick cash. You can, you know, sustain yourself and uh, you can also go out and party with folks every night. And, um, and that's what I did. Uh, I, I was out every night. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't in school anymore, so I didn't really have any responsibilities. And that's what I could do. I could work, uh, you know, work full time and party full time. Um, I also uh, picked up some somewhat of a cocaine habit in, in Denver. Um, and eventually just decided to, to move away and move to St. Louis, uh, with my mom. So I was in St. Louis for several years. Um, I like St. Louis too. Um, I'm actually a Cardinals fans. Uh, I, I know that, uh, I, I picked up different sports teams as I, as I moved around the country. Um, but, uh, in St. Louis, it, it was definitely the Cardinals. Um, so, uh, you know, a, a couple of things are happening to me in St. Louis. Um, one, I'm trying to kind of put my life together because I felt listless. Um, I was involved in my own spiritual journey, which for me meant um, uh, starting to... So my, my mother lived in St. Louis at the time. Uh, my mother is an Episcopal priest, and she was um, a priest at a small church in uh, in St. Louis. So I started getting active in her church and getting involved 
in in her church um, because I felt like I wanted that. Um, I, I felt like I wanted that direction, and I actually had an eye towards becoming an Episcopal priest myself. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, j- just to go on a, a small tangent about Episcopal, uh, Episcopalianism for anybody in your, um, it, anybody who is not particularly aware of what it is, um, you know, it, it, people call it Catholic light sometimes, um, you know, all of the ceremony, half the guilt, uh, for the most part, they are, um, not, not stuck in dogmatic yeah. thinking. Yeah. Um, it seems know, to be a more intellectual type of a, um, I mean, an intellectual type of a belief system, I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are even Episcopalians who will say that they didn't believe, they don't believe in uh, the resurrection. Yeah. You know, they don't believe in. You know, what's interesting um, to interrupt you on this, but uh, when I was, uh, so I grew up without any religion whatsoever, knew nothing about it. And when I was in my early 20s, when my drinking was getting bad, I was started looking for an answer and I went to religion and to understand religion better. I took a class uh, at a community college on the new Testament as literature. It was taught by, it was taught by an Episcopalian priest and he taught it as literature, not as religious dogma. And I swear to God, when you study the Bible as literature, you really realize it's a man-made document. It's not, it's not, supernatural it was like this guy kind of knew that you know and i had this impression that this episcopal priest knew that this is just you know this is this isn't this isn't magic you know i had that and then fast forward many years later our um free thinkers group actually meets an episcopalian an episcopalian church here not now because of covid but yeah so yeah i'm kind of familiar with them and i and i i kind of liken them a little bit to the unitarians more than i would any other type of a you know strict dogmatic religion yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, it, it's, especially lay people, you know, you'll get all sorts of different uh, theologies in there. Uh, people like my mom, you know, my mother will say that she absolutely uh, believes in the resurrection, believes, um, you know, some of the magic things, the things that I, I, I would call magic, the things right. that I think It's, it's probably an insulting way of putting it, but that's kind yeah, of, yeah. you know. I don't know if my mom's going to listen to this. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I am an atheist right, today. Right. And, you know, I'm not going to uh, sugarcoat that. Um, you know, I, I do think that, you know, it's impossible to look at the Bible and scripture as anything but man-made stories and myths and, um, you know, not even very well-written. So, but, you know, at the time, as I was kind of trying to develop this spiritualness in myself, I was, um, you know, trying to look at it with this academic eye, just like you said, you know, you had, there was an Episcopal priest who, um, who, who looked at an, an academic eye and typically Anglican theology, which the Episcopal church is the church of England in America, um, you know, Anglican theology is very much the scripture is, you know, one part of what we study, but we don't look at it the way, for example, the fundamentalists do, you know, this is not a, a, a you know, fundamentalist religion. This is not, you know, you, we don't live by uh, strictly by the, the literal word of the Bible. Um, so I was able to kind of branch out and meld my, what, really was secular humanism with, um, you know, with Anglican theology. And, you know, there was, it it was somewhat complimentary. Um, 
so all of that is happening, but at the same time, uh, I'm, I'm not drinking less. Um, I'm isolating more. Uh, I'm drinking alone more. Um, you know, but I, I am making friends out there. Um, you know, I, uh, eventually I, I had been without a car for a while. I eventually get a car and, um, you know, working in a restaurant and, uh, shortly after I had got a, gotten a car, I got into uh, an accident by myself. Not uh, nobody else was involved, but I got my first DUI, and through that process was my first introduction to AA. Okay, was that in St. Louis? I'm sorry, are you still in yeah. St. Louis during this time? Okay, yes. Okay, so still in St. Louis during this. I was about 23, I think 23 or 24 at the time. Um. So, uh, I, I go into, um, first they, they, they send me to what was called a weekend intervention program. Um, I'm sure that there, there's a bunch of different, well, you're in the state of Missouri, so they still call it that there. Um, where essentially I, my, uh, BAC was high enough that they said, uh, you had to go to intervention for this. Um, so that was, you know, going to a hotel, um, for a weekend and, uh, being given a lot of, um, uh, of education about what the disease of alcoholism is. And actually it worked for me. It didn't stop me, but, um, but that told me it, it, essentially that was the first time I went into a place and they said, not you are an alcoholic. They said, this is what alcoholism is. And these are the symptoms of alcoholism. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that alcoholics say and do. And if you do these things, then you might be an alcoholic. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, trying to force, force feed this up to you. It was just showing you a lot of, you know, this, it, it, it was what you do in the rooms. You know, you have people talk about their experiences and, uh, and you, you know, if you're going to listen and identify, then you're probably going to resonate. And, and it did. And I walked out of there saying, uh, I am an alcoholic and I have a problem. And I did go to a couple of AA meetings. Um, and, uh, it was fine. It wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't wonderful, but it, it was fine. And, um, and then I, I just kind of let myself talk myself out of it. Um, you know, I was in my twenties. Everybody that I knew, were, you know, all we did was drink. So um, I, I, I basically talked myself out. I didn't try to get a sponsor. Didn't try to do any of that stuff. Um, and so I uh, continued um, basically doing the same thing that I was doing before, uh, getting the same results. Eventually, I did meet my uh, my first wife. Um, I'm, I've since divorced her, obviously. That's why I call her first. Uh, met my first wife, kind of did a little bit of more moving around. Uh, you know, the the drinking was a problem with my wife. One anecdote that I do like to bring up with, with my ex is, um, you know, the, this one morning, and there were just so many ups and downs with us with her getting pissed at the amount that I would drink, um, but not knowing how, how alcoholism works and not knowing that I couldn't moderate, that it wasn't possible. And so one morning, um, you know, I kind of get up and she's yelling at me because I, I drank the night before. And um, uh, when I drank, I would, you know, snore more loudly and I would flail around in my sleep, apparently. And she really hated it. And she was yelling at me and I wanted to, but did not say what I wanted to say was, why don't you just get it? 
Just get that this is what I want to do. This is who I am. And just, you know, this is how I want to drink. And if you would be okay with that, then we would be fine. (laughs) Um, And uh, I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And, you know, eventually we, we got divorced. Um, Honestly, it it wasn't meant to be for more reasons than just that I was an alcoholic, but um, you know, we got divorced. And then after we got divorced, I started, uh, you know, drinking the way that I wanted to drink for a couple of months. Um, And then uh, during that time, after my wife and I got divorced, I started finally saying to myself in terms of spirituality, I don't believe this stuff. Um, you know, I, I was getting more and more skeptical, um, more and more just, you know, uh, so much of this doesn't make sense to me. And I've been spending all this time fighting it. What if I just give into it and be, yeah, an yeah, yeah. I had, I had the same experience. It was kind of a slow, a kind of a journey where I just started doubting and started reading a little bit here, a little bit there. And I kind of came to the conclusion. Yeah, that's exactly what I am actually. Yeah. And it was, you know what, for me, actually, it was kind of a, when I came to the realization that I was an atheist, it was kind of scary at first. I didn't, I didn't even like the word and, and to hear the word applied to me at first just seemed like uncomfortable. Now I'm totally okay with it. But at first it was a very uncomfortable thing. And a lot of it had to do with just the, the way that society views an atheist and also that I was, I was so um, embedded into AA culture for so long. That was part of my story anyway, but yeah. So I, I can relate to the kind of coming to that conclusion over kind of a period of time, just having these nagging doubts and thoughts and then finally realizing and embracing it. Yeah. And that's exactly what it was. And I mean, you know, same kind of fears for me that, that you had, um, you know, again, I, I wasn't raised in a tradition where anybody was saying you're going to go to hell for this. <laughs> so I, I wasn't worried about my, but I was worried about, uh, I, you know, I was worried that my mother would stop loving Sure, right. You know? um, I was worried that, um, it was, that, that was my biggest worry. You know, uh, my mother and I had always had a very close relationship. And this, it still has dri- driven somewhat of a wedge between us. But unfortunately, it is, um, it, it's something that has to be there. You know, she doesn't say it, but I, I do kind of think that for her, um, she always liked the fact that I was kind of on board with uh, with the religion, and when I um, when I basically came out as an atheist, she felt betrayed. Um, so that that kind of hasn't stopped. Uh, but we, we, I mean, we are close. We talk every week. Um, you know, we we uh, live fairly close to each other, and we love each other. Um, yeah, and what's interesting too is you actually now you have a sponsor who is a, a believer, right? And I think that I think that's kind of important in a way because we do live in a world where people have all sorts of belief systems. And if you can if you can um, learn to speak the language of someone else, it just makes you that more valuable to to the world anyway. And obviously, you know, it's like just because I personally um, have um, these views of religion um, for myself personally, it doesn't mean I don't have any respect for people, other people's beliefs. Yeah, I mean, so that that's a, it's interesting that that you raise that. Um, I have respect for people's beliefs that I can respect. Um, you know, I I don't respect um, Scientologists' beliefs. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, there's there's a limit. Yeah, 
Um, you know, I, I respect people who who have a uh, you know belief that you know we uh, that all people are ha- have inherent worth and that we're worthy of love. Um, you know, I respect forgiveness. I respect things like that. I don't respect beliefs that um, are anti-gay, anti-LGBT. Right. Correct. You know? Yeah, I'm here. I'm with you on that. And there, and unfortunately, it does exist. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, anybody that wants to push their view on someone else is where I kind of draw a line to. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I want, you know, free freedom of religion is important. I don't think that we should be repressing anything, but at the same time, I, uh, freedom from religion is, uh, is extremely important. Um, and that's kind of always been my stance, whether I was religious or not religious. And frankly, it's my mother's stance. You know, um, she is a big advocate of the separation of church and state. And, you know, there are those religious folks out there who also understand the limits of religion and and for whom religion is personal. And they'll talk about it, but, you know, they're not there to to say, you must believe as I believe. Um, So... I was kind of descending, uh, still in St. Louis, um, you know, becoming more of an active alcoholic after uh, my divorce and I was allowed to, you know, kind of drink the way that I wanted to. Um, Also going through this uh, spiritual transformation uh, from, you know, being an Episcopalian to being an atheist and and calling myself an atheist. Um, And it's around that time uh, I was working at a place in St. Louis um, where I was a a DJ, uh, a mobile DJ. Um, So I would, uh, I worked for a place, we we did mostly weddings. Um, I did not do, by the way, I I always like to say this, I did not do the electric slide. I did not do (laughs) Uh, anything like that. Um, we, we tried to hold ourselves back from that and be, you know, <laughs> we're the classy DJs who are not going to uh, pull grandma up onto the dance floor. <laughs> and put hats on her. Um, and, and, you know, so, uh, but it was fun. And it was also, I mean, if you're an active alcoholic, it's a great job. <laughs> you get free drinks all night. Sure. Um, yeah, you do have to drive after that, but I mean, that was, that was a huge part of my, uh, of, of my, uh, my story. I drove almost every night drunk. Yeah, me too. Um, and it's awful. And I, you know, unfortunately there were plenty of people in St. Louis who, who did that too. You know, it's not a commuter town. Um, you know, it, it's, um, there are plenty of drunks on the road at all times. I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I only got one DUI when I was in St. Louis uh, or, you know, I, I mean, maybe I would have, you know, maybe I would have recovered quicker if I had gotten more, but um, you know, it's unfortunate, but, but there it is. Um, anyway, so I was working for this company and my boss takes us to Costa Rica as a, um, uh, it was an incentive thing for us. We all, you know, it, we all did a good job. We were very productive. He took us to Costa Rica and I met my current wife there. Um, you know, we just kind of, we hit it off. Uh, she, it, she was living in New Jersey where, where I am now. And, um, you know, I didn't have anything tying me down in St. Louis anymore. My mother had since moved away uh, to go to a different church. And, um, you know, as much as I liked my job, I said, you know, I'm going to give it a shot. I really love this woman. Um, and I moved to northern New Jersey. And during that time, I I really hid the extent of my alcoholism. Um, but, you know, after a while, it has to come out. She was the only one with a job. I didn't have a job for quite a while. Uh, and I was spending her money on booze and okay. hiding the amount of money that I was spending. Right. On. 
Um, and doing something, uh, you know, she had uh, her own little kind of liquor cabinet under the, under the sink where she, you know, she just assumed that stuff was always there. Well, I was, you know, waiting for her to go to bed at night. I would get up and uh, go drink and, you know, drink down that liquor. And then after, when she was at the, uh, at work the next day, I would go to the store and buy liquor oh. to replace that liquor. <laughs> um, doing, you know, getting into that kind of shenanigans, which is just... Um, you know, it, it's sick behavior, but, uh, you know, and at the, the time I realized that it was sick behavior, you know, um, I was, uh, and I went, went through that for a while and, you know, was not necessarily a daily drinker, but, you know, would, would go in spurts and then, you know, say, okay, I'm going to stop drinking for a week. And then, you know, maybe it would last, maybe it wouldn't. And eventually it got to the point where with a lot of us, it does, um, well, it, it came to a climax for me. I actually, um, you know, it was one night um, I was drinking and then uh, I went out to the, I, I, I was drinking, I took some Ambien on top of the drinking because I said, oh, I want to be able to fall asleep later. Um, and then I went to the store to pick up cigarettes and on my way back from the store, uh, I blacked out. I was behind, uh, I was driving her car uh, blacked out and totaled her car um, just uh, literally 20 feet outside of the apartment building where we lived. And um, she got a call from her, from BMW uh, saying, your car's been in, in an accident. She said, you're crazy. I'm in bed right now. And she said, no, it's your car's been in an accident. <laughs> and she looked outside and saw that, um, that, you know, there were a bunch of cop cars there. Uh, and you know, yeah, that she's was, really glad she's met you at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we had been together for, uh, I want to say it, uh, almost two years at this point. Um, so there was some commitment there and, you know, she, but that, you know, that was, that was it, you know, that was, it, it was, uh, put up or shut up time. And, um, so, you know, the first thing that I, that I knew to do was go to AA. Um, and that's what I did. I went to my first AA meeting, uh, since, since St. Louis, uh, went to my first, and this time I said, okay, uh, I, I got to find a sponsor. And so I shared, uh, I, I opened up and shared and said, I need to find a sponsor. Can someone please help me find a sponsor? Um, you know, in Northern New Jersey, uh, where, where we are, I was in the Fort Lee area at that time. Um, you know, there's a big community and we have, uh, intergroup books that, uh, that have meeting lists. Um, I never found a meeting out of that book before I always went to the website, but what they did, we passed around the book and we put, uh, you know, sober contacts on the back of the book. And I called those numbers. Um, I have put my name on so many of those books and never gotten a call from it, but I actually did call those numbers and spoke to some folks. And one of the first guys on the list is the guy who's my sponsor now. Um, and you know, for, uh, I, I did, I, I went to, uh, two meetings a day for the most part for, uh, the first few months, my, my, well, obviously my wife kept me because she's my wife now, uh, at the time she was my, my girlfriend, but, uh, you know, we got married in 2016. Um, and so just talking through a little bit of my, uh, my sober journey, you know, I went to two meetings a day. Um, I did all the things that they told me to, um, but I didn't pray. I, I actually did try to pray. Um, 
you know, I, I said, I would say the serenity prayer every once in a while because I felt like it, it calmed me and centered me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I did too. Now, actually for me, I, I did the praying thing for a while until I realized that I, it just, for me, what, what happened is I, I was a younger guy and I just kind of conformed to what people were doing. So I prayed almost in this obsessive compulsive way where that if I ever, if I didn't pray, damn it, I just would go crazy and have to go back and start all over again. But I just did it because I did it, I guess. But then eventually I stopped because I, I really realized at some level, this is bullshit, but I never I never um, told anybody that I wasn't praying because it was such a big deal. The AA meetings I went to that you'd get down on your knees and pray every day that I wasn't going to raise my hand and say, Oh, I don't do that. (laughs) You know, I just wasn't going to do that. But the serenity prayer, even to this day, I still, I I will still find myself reciting it because, Oh, it's kind of like a mantra for me. I, I, it's not like I'm praying to a deity or anything, but I honestly do find some value in it for me still to this day. And it might, and it might be habit or whatever, but I do, I do use that as well yeah i mean well one of the things that, that we do now in my meeting in that not my it's not my meeting it's my <laughs> it, it, it's everyone else's meeting um, but uh, you know the the way that we chose to end that meeting is saying the serenity statements instead of the serenity which is just the same thing but you say today i seek the serenity right of, right uh, no, no, no deity has to give it to you exactly um, you know, we, we are seekers and, we, you know, we're seeking serenity. Um, so uh, kind of getting around to that, um, one, like I said, my wife uh, hung on to me. Uh, I did, you know, 90 and 90. I did more than 90 and 90. Um, I found a ton of value in the rooms of AA and in and speaking to people. And I was also able to separate the God stuff from the rest of the stuff. Um, I, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, I can't, I can't make that separation. I, you know, it, it's just, I, I hear God and I walk away. Could you uh, see the action underneath the, 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 everything the, through the steps and so forth? Yeah. I mean, so for me, it, it, a huge part of recovery is service and uh, the action. Yes. I could see the action for me. It wasn't any of the words that I was saying. It was the action of, you know, making the meeting of picking up folks uh, on my way to the meeting of, uh, you know, being a greeter of um, cleaning up after the meeting of making coffee, especially, you know? And, and so um, one other anecdote that, that I love is uh, one of the meetings that I would make in Fort Lee, there's this Thursday men's meeting, uh, in Fort Lee. And my sponsor said, okay, next time, uh, next time we have a business meeting, uh, I'm going to vote you in as coffee maker. And I said, well, I don't have money to go get the, he said, you know, don't worry about that. I will, you know, give you the money. They're going to reimburse you anyway, but I'll give you 20 bucks now, um, so that you can, you know, go pick up all the cookies and coffee for the meeting. And that's going to be your responsibility. And, the responsibility part of it was huge for me. Um, you know, learning that there were people who were depending on me and that I could follow through. And it's also, you know, it's fairly low stakes. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it, I, I did have one of the old timers say, where's the, this isn't the right kind of cream. Or, <laughs> you, know, but, you know, so you, you get some complaints, but for the sure. most part, you know, you're doing something with very low stakes, but people, you know, people are going to be disappointed if they don't get their coffee. And right. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, so that, that taught me some responsibility and it gave me, you know, it, it gave me a good feeling that people are depending on me and I'm doing a job. And, um, you know, when I first came to the rooms, I felt like shit. And, uh, I, I am a huge believer in one of the things that we need when we get into the rooms is forgiveness. Um, you know, because we feel so bad, not that, you know, I, I didn't need forgiveness for being an alcoholic because, you know, I, I came to realize really quickly that this is a disease and that, um, you know, or disorder that I hadn't, you know, very little control over what I needed forgiveness for was, you know, totaling my girlfriend's car and she, and stealing, you know, essentially stealing money from her for, for a couple of years and, you know, really feeling, um, you know, like I, for the first time, like I was the bad guy and everything. And, um, you know, folks said to me, you know, my, my grand sponsor, uh, at one of my first meetings was running the meeting and I was crying, you know, saying, saying exactly what I just said for the first time, I feel like a bad guy. And he said, AJ, when we come into the rooms, it's like, we have a huge target on our back. And if you keep coming, then slowly and slowly the, the target will get smaller and smaller. And it's true. Um, yeah. Um, you know, nowadays I have a, an equal relationship with my wife. She hasn't been able to work during COVID and I have, um, in my sobriety, uh, I went to law school and, you know, got my law degree. And now, thank you. And now I'm a practicing lawyer. Um, and the other thing that I did was I started, uh, I started a secular meeting. Um, what was, what motivated you to do that by the way? Um, what motivated me to do that was, uh, coming into meetings regularly and hearing one, hearing plenty of people who were saying that they didn't believe in God, uh, hearing plenty of people say, well, you know, it, I, I think I might be able to do AA if it weren't for all the God stuff and finally getting, you know, sick of hearing all that and, and sick of me saying somebody should do something about that. And I actually did something. Um, you know, our meeting is also in an Episcopal church, uh, in Fort Lee, there is, uh, this particular church that, um, has, that hosts a, an AA meeting every night of the week. And we were able to, um, you know, to, to find a time slot, uh, in which we were able to do the meeting, uh, eight o'clock on Tuesday nights. And, um, you know, I just, at first I just put the, put it out through word of mouth. I said, you know, uh, I'm starting this meeting. Uh, I think that this is going to be a good thing. I got support for, again, from my grand sponsor, um, and my sponsor, they said, that's a great idea. You know, I, we definitely see uh, a need for that in this community and you should definitely do it. And so, you know, the first meeting, I think I had, uh, my two sponsees and maybe one other person there. And then, um, you know, the next meeting I had about five people and then seven and more people heard about it and, uh, more people started coming. And, um, you know, then I, uh, I went to intergroup and, you know, the, the way that intergroup works in, in our area is if, uh, you want to get intergroup is the, the group that puts out the meeting books and said that, um, you know, if you want to get listed as a meeting, you have to be a, a functioning meeting for like three months. And then you come one month and you, you, uh, kind of introduce yourself and then you come the next month and intergroup will vote you in or not. And, um, 
Yeah, uh, they, it has been very rare that they rejected anybody. Um, we actually did have them reject, uh, right before I came in, they, they rejected a, um, um, a, a meeting that uh, was using non-AA-approved literature. Um, and so is the, vote, is the vote by all the, the groups, the representatives that go to intergroup, or is it just by the... The, the people who run the office and sit on the board of the intergroup. All the representatives. Wow. So all the delegates, oh yeah, my goodness. All the wow. Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm actually, I, I'm the intergroup rep from my uh, Friday night um, non-secular meeting. And uh, you know, so I, because I, through my experience with my Tuesday night meeting, I said, I, I kind of want to get involved in this. Um, and you know, nobody was sending anybody from the Friday night meeting. So, uh, they, you know, I, I said, I'd like to do this and got involved and, you know, it, it, it was really, um, it, it's been a great, uh, experience. Um, there, there was a little friction about us yeah. being a regular meeting. Yeah, um, I, I bet. I mean, especially if they didn't like the group that wasn't, that was using outside literature. I wonder what that was all about. I wonder what they were using. Yeah, no, they were, um, <laughs> I forget what it is that, you know, it, it's that, uh, it, it's one of those like first principles or, or, uh, a real major big book banging guy folks that are also very, it, it's very, uh, <laughs> God centered. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Funny. Um, but you know, so we, we made some compromises for that because we were, you know, we, we, we didn't want them to say, uh, you know, you're, you're not using a approved literature. So one thing that we do at the beginning of our meetings is we, um, we make a statement that we endorse the AA 12 steps and the secular forms, but we do not read any. Step. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. I, we don't either. We don't read any steps at our meeting. Um, it's not necessary. You know, at one time we did actually have the actual original steps hanging on the wall of our meeting, but we had to take them down because they were actually a bit started to offend people. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that, that's, that's a thing though. I yeah. mean, come into the rooms and they see those banners and they see God on all their over the place God. and the real masculine language and all that kind of stuff. It, it was offensive to some people. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, that's one thing I knew I, I didn't want at, at the meeting. Um, you know, essentially what I did to start the meeting was uh, I looked up and found what, what a lot of us call the secular preamble. Um, and and then I added, you know, a few extra stuff on the end about, you know, the, the 12 steps. I didn't want what happened in Toronto to happen to um you know, and went to intergroup. Uh, the The way that we led the meeting. So you didn't want that drama. I kind of wanted that when I started our meeting, <laughs> but I didn't get it. They were like, they're like, well, yeah. <laughs> um, I I expected there to be a little bit more drama than there was. Um, thankfully, you know, we're in a loving community. Uh, you know, I heard plenty of people say, uh, kind of behind their backs, you know, oh, those secular people. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> But at the end of the day, you know, anybody who actually comes into one of our meetings, now I will say this, um, and one of the, one of our regulars at the meeting uh, is a great older guy. He's one of the guys who inspired me uh, to, to keep coming and to, to start this meeting. You know, he's a guy with 30 years or more of sobriety, uh, was never worried about saying in a meeting that he doesn't believe in God. Um, and he came to our meeting, and I, I will admit this, it, it was early on. And it was, uh, I just decided, hey, I want to talk about the We Agnostics chapter of, <laughs> okay. 
uh, the big book. And it was a, almost an hour long hate fest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> people talking about how much they didn't like it, including, you know, my opening, uh, you know, my opening remarks in leading the meeting. Um, and that, you know, I've thought better at this, but I think I had to kind of get it out of my chest, off my chest. But, um, you know, what, what this guy, uh, this long timer said was, you know, uh, I've gone to uh, secular meetings in Florida and I really liked it, um, because they don't sit around patting themselves on the back all day about how they're atheists. And you know, I, I'm kind of feeling like, you know, this group is, uh, is, is getting that way. And I took that criticism. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Um, but the guy, because, come on, man. The guy is, is, is like his first meeting and he's making this judgment, you know, <laughs> But that's what people do. I mean, they, they make, they make a judgment of your group from the first meeting they attend. And if, if some, if one guy is bashing God at that meeting, he, oh, you're a bunch of bot God bashers. Yeah. And we got that. We, you know, we got that from some folks. I will say this guy, he, he, you know, even though he criticized us, he kept coming back and, you know, he started leading the, you know, he, he took his turns during uh, COVID, you know, leading zoom meetings for, for quite a while. So it's not like, you know, he, he, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, li- listen, I I didn't want it to be no. a, a hate an hour long hate. Me, I hear you, and you know what? And it does happen sometimes. And I would cringe at the meetings where it did happen because you would have people at a, at a certain stage in the group's life where that was really important to get that off their chest. And some people were a lot more vocal than other people, but yeah, I would just cringe. I was like, God, can we just please get through this? <laughs> Especially if I saw someone in the meeting I'd never seen before and we're going on one of these tangents. But I can tell you over time that became less and less of an issue to where it's almost non-existent now. Yeah. And you know, now that, so in March, uh, I, our first meeting was the first Tuesday in March. Uh, it will be three years ago this March. Um, and you know, now we've, we've just been meeting via zoom, uh, we typically have between 20 and 30 people at, uh, any zoom meeting. Has your group held together pretty well during, during this time? It has, um, you know, we, we had a couple of folks who, who went out, uh, but came back. Um, we've had, uh, you know, the main core of the meeting makes the meeting, uh, every week. And, um, you know, I make the meeting, uh, I, well, I just took a, another turn as chairperson, um, and so uh, that that makes me make the meeting every week. But uh, you know, I had a trial a couple of weeks ago, uh, or a couple of months ago, I should say, and wasn't able to to make the meeting. And you know, there are times when I'm not able to make the meeting, but I do for the most part. And yeah, they they've held together very well. Uh, we get folks from the Beyond Belief page uh, joining us every once in a while. Okay, we, so you get people from outside of your area then. Yeah, which is great. You know, we, we've met some folks from British Columbia. We've met some folks from Ireland. Um, you know, we, we get folks coming. There's actually uh, one woman um, who has become a regular at our meeting, even though she lives in Georgia, and um, you know, which is fantastic. It's like, you know, um, she, then she lives in a very rural area of Georgia. Her meetings are, and she's gay. And her meetings are, um, you know, not particularly welcoming to that. And, you know, we, we are really happy to have uh, there and be open arms, which, you know, she's one of the main reasons why I, um, why I am going to, uh, you know, advocate for a, a webcam at every meeting and having, um, you know, once we are able to meet live. To again, kind of have a hybrid type meeting. 
Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, I, I want to, I want our meetings to be open to as many people as possible. Uh, because there are folks in rural parts of Georgia and Alabama. Absolutely. And and they, they don't have anyone else that they can meet up with. They're, yeah, they're kind of in an isolated area. And in that part of the country, I mean, it's really the religion and what church you go to is really important. Yeah. And, um, you know, thankfully, one, thankfully, New Jersey isn't like that. And so we were able and I, I do want to kind of give some props to uh, in New Jersey before we started our meeting, there was uh, a long time meeting uh, agnostic meeting in Jersey City. Um, but uh, unfortunately, because they just happen to be in a bad area for parking and and fortunately, because Jersey City happens to be a very liberal area that wasn't as much of a need a secular meeting because people, you know, were more secular there. Um, you know, in, in our area when, when I grew, so I, I owe a lot to that group. Um, and, you know, thankfully in our area, when I planted my meeting, um, you know, other folks said, Oh, we really like this. We want more of this. And so, uh, now there's a Sunday night meeting in Lodi, New Jersey. Um, and there is a, I believe there's a Wednesday night meeting. Um, there is a Thursday night meeting, I think, and they, they're all meeting via zoom right now, but, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to the point soon where we're going to have meetings in our secular meetings every night of the week in our area. Yeah. Um, so, and it has been, and you know, really the one thing I really want to drive home with respect to our meeting, with respect to the secular movement is I do not think that we have to be at odds with the religious. I agree. Age. I agree. I totally agree. I totally, totally agree. And I get a little tired of the Facebook group when people want to debate the God, no God, the bad AA, good AA, all that kind of crap is whatever works for anybody. Besides, I'm a firm believer that what we do, whether you believe or not believe in God, whether you look at the steps in a secular way or a non-secular way, the bottom line, the bottom actions that you're doing are essentially the same. You know, you're dealing with the same problem and you're doing the pretty much the same things. You're just explaining it differently. And whatever it is that motivates you, you're, you're attributing that motivation to something different maybe, but otherwise we have far more in common than we, than not. And if you ever get involved, like in service outside of the group, you go to an area assembly or your district or whatever, you don't even talk about any of the other stuff. It's all, it's all, it's all pretty much, you know, nuts and bolts of what we we're going to do to help people. Exactly. And that's at the end of the day, you know, it is about saving lives. And I started the meeting not to say, you know, oh, you know, AA should be secular. No, no, no. I started an AA secular meeting so that people who are uncomfortable with certain parts of AA will feel comfortable and will actually come in and participate. And we have folks who, you know, the Tuesday night meeting is the only meeting that they'll make. And, and I do encourage people, please, you know, do go to, uh, you know, some of these other meetings, you know, it's, it's not that horrible. They're not going to make you do anything that you want to do. Frankly, some people just don't feel comfortable with that. And some people have suffered major trauma. That's the thing. A lot of people have suffered trauma from religion. And I don't want to expose them to that and say, you know, you, you need to uh, force yourself to do something that you yeah, don't want to no, do. That's a really real, that's a very real thing. We actually had a couple, a couple of people like that. One, one uh, young woman I remember in particular though, Erica, 
she was traumatized. She grew up in a really fundamentalist family, and she just experienced all sorts of trauma tied to religion. And so when she went to AA initially, she, she, she would re-experience that trauma. So she went to our group, and then she became very comfortable with the steps um, in some of the literature that she found and working them in a secular way. She actually wrote up her own version of the steps. But what happened to her, which I found really interesting, is she stopped going to our meeting and she started going to these traditional meetings where she used to be uncomfortable. And she spoke openly as an atheist, and she was embraced by these groups. And she's still sober and happy today. But she had to go through that period of time where she really needed to, she needed a safe place where she could have, find her um, own way of expressing her recovery in a safe place so that she could eventually do it in the greater AA world. I absolutely love that. And yet one of one of our, uh, our our first regular members, um, you know, very similar. He came into the rooms. He he had kind of originally come into AA and um, was was you know going to traditional meetings, and then uh, he he was kind of leveling out a little bit, and then saw our meeting, and it really reinvigorated him. Uh, and he started going back to those other meetings and sharing his experience, strength, and hope as an atheist. Isn't that something else? Yeah, yeah, I like that. And, you know, basically, essentially saying, you know, we, we get to participate as well, uh, you know, and you're going to find some value in, in the participation of atheists in your group, just like you value the participation of the theists in your group. Um, you know, all of these perspectives are needed in order for people to come in and stay sober. Uh, We've really come a long way integrating into the greater community, our, our secular meetings, um, integrating into the regular AA community. And another thing that's helping that right now is COVID because more and more people are finding these meetings now that um, it's not like going to be that unusual for people to know that there's such a thing as a meeting where you don't pray. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's, you know, thankfully not, not a ton came out of 2020. That was great. But, uh, and especially not a ton came out of, of COVID that was great, but the wider community that we've, uh, that, that we've brought together through zoom meetings and through, um, through video meetings has been phenomenal. And I've heard that from so many people, uh, you know, saying it, it's been great since, since COVID started that I've found all of these secular meetings and, um, you know, we're, we're connecting together in a worldwide community. And yeah, I, I do think that the traditional AA folks are, are looking at it and saying, okay, you know, this is a good thing. There's always going to, there, there are always going to be people, individual people, there will be individual people, but the groups, most groups as a whole, and definitely the general service office and the general service conference, they don't have a problem with it. And, you know, around here, um, we have now, um, we have secular meetings in Kansas City. We have secular meetings in St. Louis. So both sides of the state, and there's no problem. Uh, totally integrated into it. In fact, the St. Louis meetings are great. If you ever go back to St. Louis, you should check it out sometime. They they meet in an old, um, they meet in, I can't remember what part of town it is, but it's an old building. It's just really Central West End that they meet. I, I looked it up because I had a friend in St. Louis who was uh, who was looking to to find a secular meeting or something. He was having issues. And yep, you're uh, right. It's in an Alamo Club. Yep. In an old building, and it's beautiful. It's really it's really an interesting place. A lot of history. 
Yeah, I would. I would love to go there if I if I do make it back to St. Louis again. I you know I still have friends there. Um, I still have loved ones there, so it would be uh, a treat to be able to do that. Um, you know, I I love getting the chance to to uh, go to any new meetings. You know, anywhere in the country, but especially getting to see other secular meetings. Although you know, more and more, as we were talking about earlier, um, secular meetings are just you know. <laughs> tend to be the same as traditional meetings, except, you know, we don't talk about, you know, God. And it, it, it really works out. Although I still like to say that our Tuesday night meetings, uh, sometimes we, we tend to have, um, well, people tend to feel that the, the a lot of the shares are more heartfelt and from the heart. And sometimes we have more kind of, um, original topics that I we think talk. so I think I think that one reason for that is there's less of a tendency to want to conform to what the norm of the group is I just say that from my own experience as one who did conform for so long you know that to that was the one thing I noticed when I stopped going to my old traditional meeting and where I stopped conforming there and had some backlash to then going to a meeting where I didn't even have to worry about what anyone else thought about what I believed or didn't believe. And I could just be whoever I was. It was a huge freedom. Yeah. And I think that that freedom is what I think keeps a lot of of folks coming. Um, You know, I had another old timer who had been around in the, in the room for quite a while. He has, you know, a couple of decades of sobriety and when we first started this meeting, he just expressed uh, this kind of joy that is, uh, you know, it, it was just wonderful to hear from somebody essentially saying that I finally get to feel the express myself in a meeting in a way that I've never been able to do before. And, um, you know, that's what the secular community brings for AA. It gives us the opportunity to give people the chance to be who they are. Um, you know, it's a freedom that you don't get everywhere, uh, you, you know, even in your, your regular life, but uh, especially for a lot of atheists and agnostics in AA who feel that they, you know, who, who just feel uncomfortable sharing that part of themselves and feel that others won't relate to them. Um, a secular meeting gives them the chance to do that. So uh, I'm, I'm very happy to have been able to start. And frankly, uh, like I said earlier, um, when I started this meeting, uh, you know, I thought of it as my meeting. It is not my meeting anymore. It is, um, you know, I, I deliberately said, I, I don't want to be the chairperson. Cause right, I, I exactly. Yeah. That's, that, that's so gratifying to watch the meeting carry on, whether you do or not. Um, quite frankly, since COVID, I have not been going to meetings at my home group and the group is doing great. It's doing great, um, without me. So, um, that's fine. I like it that way. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it should, it should be able to sustain without me. And like, like I said, other meetings are, are, uh, cropping up and, um, there's a real community yeah. in Northern New Jersey. So I'm That's really super. happy to be a part of it. Well, thank you so much, uh, AJ for coming on. I really enjoy, I enjoyed the conversation and learning about your group and learning your story. Uh, it's just made my day. So thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Thank you very much for having me, John. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.